Well, good morning, Axis Church. That's so good. I just feel good inside right now. You know what I'm saying? That's so peaceful. I love that. I'm going to share you got with you guys a little chant that I like to get up in the morning and I like to look at myself in the mirror. I like to say these words to myself. Here we come a growling, mean and angry. Here we come a prowling, mean and hungry. An offensive brute, run passer boot. And defensively, we're rough, tough. Cincinnati Bengals, that's the team we're going to cheer to victory. Touchdown, Bengals. Get some points up on that board and win. Get the one for Cincinnati. Hey, I don't know all the words all the time. You know, it's just like you start mumbling, it's all good. But I like to say this to me myself in the morning and every day. Um, this is actually, let me just say, if you don't root for the Bengals, that's fine. Um, you're welcome here. Secondly, um, let me say, just give us some grace if you don't like the Bengals because it's been very painful over the last 30 some years, okay? So, I mean, I started liking the Bengals in 1981 when we moved from North Carolina. My dad was the administrator at Mount Healthy Christian Home, and Arlene Windhorst was the head of nursing at Mount Healthy Christian Home. She was the biggest Bengals fan ever, and she would say to me, I was 12 years old, I would come visit over at the home, which we live right next door to, and she would say, Stephen, you must love the Bengals. You, love, you need to love Dan Ross. He's the best tight end in the history of the NFL or whatever. And I'm like, what? I don't even know. So I'm like learning. And then I went through all the 80s and here's the Super Bowls and dad and I are together. We're in the room celebrating. Our ceiling was low in that room. And we, we, we I think it was like either a, a, a punt, you'll remember, a punt or a kickoff. And our guy runs it back. This is 1989. I jumped so high, I hit the ceiling with my hand and I heard it. That was, uh, that was just soon before Joe Montana destroyed us and utterly shattered all of our hopes and dreams. And then uh, fast forward in 2015, we went to the playoffs. That was when I didn't divorce the Bengals. I just separated from them, all right? Uh, and, and Bontez Perfect and, you know, Pac-Man Jones and that whole blow up. I was like, if they don't care, I don't care, you know? I care again, so, you know, but it's all, it's all good. Give us grace, all right? Give us grace if, uh, if you don't really care. All right, so let me, uh, let me just start with uh, prayer as we get started today. God, we give you thanks for... Uh, just allowing us to be here and, uh, and, and just to allow, just to enjoy that moment of worship just a few minutes ago. That, that, that just kind of peaceful, focused moment where we say, God, you are great. Christ, you are our healer. You are faithful. And so, God, that's today what we're here, here to celebrate. And we thank you for that. We thank you for Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're in a series called Upper Room, and a couple weeks ago, I drew out for you on a whiteboard an image by a guy named Will Mancini who wrote a book called Future Church. And, and we as a church have really had this philosophy from the beginning. He just gave an image to what we had been already talking about for the last 12, 13 years as, as Axis Church. And, and today I provided it in a slide format. And so what we said was that uh, that these two individuals, two weeks ago, I drew them as stick figures. Today, they actually look like people. And we asked the question, what attracts people to a local church? And, and he provides these four things that usually it's, 
Uh, it's the place that attracts people. The building is close to my house, or I really love stained glass, or hey, I kind of like meeting in a warehouse. That's pretty cool, or whatever it is, that's the thing. It's like the place attracts me, or my mother was buried there, or we were married in that building, or what have you. So it's the place that attracts or draws us. Then it's the personality. And when they say personality, they mean like the personality of the lead pastor or the teaching pastors or the staff. And you're kind of like, I like that. I like that style. I resonate with that. So that attracts me. I'm going to be a part of that church. Or maybe it's the programs. I love Kid City or I love the way that when they have their fall events or the way they do worship, it all resonates with me. And Or, or maybe the last one is it's the people. And hey, my best friends go to church there, and so because they go there, I want to go there. And, or maybe it's just a group of people that I feel like that I connect with. And, and these are the things that draw people, attract people, and they're not bad things. All of us are attracted to that kind of a thing. It's a lot of why we you know, resonate with a local church, and that's great. But if that becomes the goal of the church, then we become just all about who sits here. It's all about attendance. It's all about just rear ends in the seat. And if you get more people, great. And, and let's just make the best program, the best place, the best experience, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And while those things are good to attract us, what we realize is there has to be a higher calling to this. And the higher calling is really the upper room, and we talk about the purpose of the local church, and this is where we want everybody to go, to that place where you go, why do we do what we do? It's not just to get more people here. It's not just to have more people in attendance. It's not just to have even more people serving. It's so that you will be becoming more and more like Christ. As a church, we say it like this, that we would like everybody to revolve the world around Jesus one life at a time. We'd like every single person to have their life revolve around Jesus and his mission for their life. Our values here as a church is that we would have everybody explore faith in Christ. In other words, you're learning, you're growing, you're knowing him. Explore faith in Christ. Then experience life-changing relationships with God and other people. That it's actually changing your life, life-changing relationships with God and other people. And that you would then express the love of God to the world. Another way to say that is that we want everybody to commit to Jesus, commit their life to Jesus, and then after that, that you are now experiencing life-changing relationships in community with others, and then that you would be committed to the mission of Jesus, which is whatever his purpose was, that's what we want to be a part of. And so we're looking for everybody, not just to say, I'm attracted to the place or to the people or to the personalities or the programs, but I want to move to the upper room where I am on mission with Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? And we use the description that it's like an eight-year-old kid. If you ask an eight-year-old kid, what do you want for Christmas? Every eight-year-old kid is going to give you something tangible. I want a PlayStation. I want virtual reality. I want something. And it's going to be, that's a lower room tangible thing that they want. You ask the parents of that kid what they want, they're going to give you all upper room stuff, which is like, I want them to know God, I want them to love people, I want them to make a difference in this world, et cetera, et cetera, okay? Same thing in the church. There's a lower room experience, which is all tangible, it's all of what we're experiencing right here, but there's a greater purpose and upper room experience. Ultimately, what Jesus says is, I want you to leave this place and be on mission with me and realize that what we do here is preparing us for what is going on out in the world. It is how you live your life out there. 
This is how Jesus said it in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. In John 17, Jesus prayed, as you sent me, Father, I'm now sending them into the world. So there is really this idea that we are leaving this place, that we're being sent in the world, and that we're going outside of these walls. We're going beyond the walls because God is at work. And his challenge for all of us is not that we would just come and serve, but that we would go and be sent. Paul described his mission this way in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. The most important thing is that I complete my mission The work the Lord Jesus has given me to tell people the good news about God's grace. And so we have to reflect the heart of Jesus by doing what Jesus has called us to do. Now, I gave you another slide that I drew up uh, on the whiteboard, and here's what it basically looked like. And that funnel that goes from big to little is what most of us in our church experiences have uh, the churches ask you to do and that you have probably done, and that is that if we can just get people to attend, oh, just please attend, just please, please, please attend, and that would be great, we'd love to have you here, and et cetera, it's great just to have you a part of the church, and then if we're lucky, we'll get 50% of you all to show up in some, some type of group experience, where you'll be in group life, community group, core group, you'll be building relationships, that's what we want for you, and then if by some good grace that we might have 25% of you please show up and serve in some capacity in the local church, then we'll consider that a success. In fact, these have been the benchmarks for people in local churches, leaders who say, just show up. We want more people to show up. And then if 50% of you, we consider that a real success. You go into circles of other church leaders like, you got 50% of people in group? Wow, you're so successful. And then you're like, wow, how many people serve? I don't know, about 25%. 25%, that's great, good job. And I always tell people that, first of all, is that, I mean, are those good things? Sure, yes. Do we want people to attend? Yes. Do we want people in group life? Yes. And do we want people to serve? Yes. But I always tell people, we want 100% of people to serve. What? Yeah. I said, it's just like being part of a family. If 25% of your family served, would that be a successful family to you? I mean, be like, hey, listen, mom and dad, you serve. The rest of the family, don't do anything. I mean, would that work for you guys? And so we say, if you're part of the family, then you have responsibility. With the privileges of family come the responsibility of the family. So you might, you might have to clean your room. You might have to take the trash out. You might have to wash the dog, etc. And so in this place, you might have to rock a baby you might have to change a diaper. You might have to shovel some snow. You might have to welcome somebody at the door. You might have to play in the band. You might have to be on the tech team. You might have to lead something uh, in the children's ministry. Regardless of what it is, we're asking everybody 100% across the board to serve. Does that make sense to everybody? It's a bare minimum for everybody who's part of the church. But is that all that there is? And the other funnel then shows what how Jesus' model was. It went from 1 to 12 to 72 to 120. 
in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, it said that Jesus went from town to town and shared the gospel. Then the next chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, then 12 disciples went out. Jesus sent them from town to town to share the good news about Jesus. Then it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 1, the next chapter, it said Jesus sent out 72 people, two by two, into the neighboring towns. And then finally in Acts chapter 1, it says that now 120 people are in the upper room. Jesus had developed a team. And he says, all right, now we're going to go change the world. And so in other words, you weren't just called to serve, you were called to be sent. And that's every single person in this room that you have to think about your life in terms of I'm on mission with Jesus, I'm making a difference for the kingdom of God, and that's what we're talking about today, getting beyond the walls. Here's how Jesus said it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And those are the arenas that we're going to talk about today, going beyond the walls in your Jerusalem, your Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't say you'll be my defense attorney or my prosecutor. He said you'll be my witness. And what that means is you're just sharing with people what God has done in your life, and here's the first arena that happens in. Let's go beyond the walls, and it starts with your daily circles of influence. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is hit the, the, their neighborhoods, their family. And you guys know where this starts. It starts in the home. In Luke chapter 8, we read about a guy who was troubled and tormented, and he found freedom when he encountered Christ. And when he was changed, he wanted to walk around and follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're going to make a difference in your circle of influence. I want you to go home and tell people about what's happened. In Luke chapter 8, verse 39, it says, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. And so then in verse 39, So the man went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him, exactly as Jesus had said. And Mark chapter 5, verse 20 is a parallel verse, and it says all the people were amazed. They were amazed because he was talking about how Jesus had made a difference in his life. And here's my question. Parents, how are you doing at being a disciple maker of your kids? Are you, are you sharing the word of God with them? Are you reading the Bible? Are you telling the stories of the Bible? Are you talking about your own faith journey? Are you praying together and are you praying for them? Are you modeling for them what it means to love your neighbor as yourself? If they hear you talk about people, how are you talking about them? If they see you love your spouse, how are you loving them? How are you demonstrating for them what it means to be somebody who loves Christ? Uh, I really, our, we go to on Sunday lunch with my mom and my entire family, and we love that, and it is a great time every weekend, almost every single weekend of the year, and she's preparing it. But I love the moments after everybody leaves, I try to stay around, and it's just me and mom, we're just there. Oftentimes that involves a nap, amen, or it's like a nap, you're in the recliners. It could involve football. In fact, I really enjoyed a few weeks ago when we played the Chiefs, mom was asleep, I was next to her, she really enjoys the Bengals, she really likes football, we're watching the game, except she had fallen asleep and it was in a critical moment where Joe Burrow throws a pass to Jamar Chase near the sideline and it was a big game-turning moment, it was so exciting, the crowd goes wild, mom's sleeping, she doesn't even open her eyes, her hand was on the blanket in between the two recliners, I look over and I see this hand, in that moment, when he catches that pass, this hand reaches up off of the blanket and goes... Mm. <laughs> she didn't even look. 
She just knew, like, you're like, I'm giving a big fist bump. That was a good play. You know, she knew. And then right back to sleep. And uh, I told her that later. She thought that was so funny. She woke up and gave a fist bump, you know, right in the middle of that. But a couple weeks ago, or last week, we started talking about the message because I'd given the upper room message up at the Middletown campus. She said, it's so interesting what you talked about the upper room because that's always been the goal for our family. And she said, when it came to our family, we just talked about the Lord. We served the Lord. We just lived every day in that kind of a way. It just is who we were. Going to church was just an aspect of our Christianity, but being on mission with Jesus was just who we were. Church was never about just a place or attending a service. It was every part of who we are. And my question is, is it every part of who you are? Does it impact every relationship that you have? When you're changed by Jesus, it should change your day to day. How do you react with people at work and at school? Because it starts at your home, but then it expands to your workplace, your school. Do people who you work with know that you love Christ? You don't have to be perfect, but do they know that you love Jesus, that you're somebody who loves God, that you have a relationship with him? How do you impact with how do you interact with people? Our mission starts at home, but it goes outward from there. Are you ever talking about, Jesus changed my life? Can I tell you what he's done for me? I think there's some reasons why we don't do that. One, I think people around us, we think sometimes those people aren't interested. We say, well, they don't really care, and so they're not going to care about what I care about. That's actually not true. Gallup did a poll several years ago, discovered 65 million Americans had no church home, but 34 million of them said they would attend if somebody would just invite them. Your friends are a lot more interested than you think they are. We also sometimes, I think, don't share because we don't think people are actually lost. We, we have this idea that like every road goes to heaven, so therefore, I don't need to be on mission. I don't need to do anything about it. I don't need to say anything because if you're just a nice person, then everything is going to be fine. And we don't ever think about the reality of eternity without God for those that we love. Another one is we don't want to be rejected. We think if I say something, maybe they'll make fun of me or I don't know. You know, maybe they'll reject me in some way. Another one is that maybe you're not living the good news. And so because of that, you think, I, I really don't have a good attitude. So I don't want to tell them that I believe in Christ because that'll put him down. And I don't want to do that. I'm not a good person sometimes. But look, you don't have to be perfect. You just got to be authentic. You just got to tell people. They know you don't have it all together, but, but, but you can still be changed by Christ, and you should live authentically in front of them. And sometimes we say, well, I just don't know what to say to them. Some of you think you have to have all the theological answers. I like what, first, what Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's where it starts. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. But what do they ask? About the hope, the reason for the hope that you have. You don't have to give all the theology. You don't have to know everything. You're giving, here is why I have hope in my life. Here's the difference that God has made in my life. We, we've heard before that it's been said that you should tell your story and his story. Just tell your story. What has God done for you? What difference has it made in your life? Look for opportunities to talk about that. And then in the middle of that, intertwine God's story. Here's what God has done for me. Here's how he's changed me. Here's what he did in my life. And he radically has changed me. And here's how he supports me, or here's how I feel like God's with me. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, it says, If I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. 
Jeremiah says, I have something so powerful inside of me to tell people that if I don't share it, it's like a burning inside of my bones. And we need to remember that. So are you willing to share with people in your circles of influence? How are we doing on that? Starting in your home, then your workplace, your schools, etc. The second thing is we need to go beyond the walls um, when we reach across barriers. In Luke chapter, I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says he went from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And, and in those areas, it was outside of maybe the circle of influence. And, and in fact, in Samaria, it was overcoming racial barriers and status barriers because there was a real uh, division between Jews and Samaritans. And if you're going to be like Jesus, then you overcome barriers. Jesus did that with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Uh, there was a... Uh, there was a social barrier and a religious barrier, honestly. Uh, she was a Samaritan, and Samaritans were considered half-breeds. And to the Jews, they were very down on them racially. And yet Jesus met at the well because he knew she'd be there. He overcame that barrier. It was also a gender barrier. She was a woman. He was a man. And in that day, um, it wasn't all about equality it was a lot of division when it came to genders, and Jesus was willing to have that conversation with her. Not only that, it was a spiritual barrier. Here she was. She'd had five husbands. She was living with a guy. She was, very, she was very much an outcast in that city, and yet Jesus looked for the opportunity specifically to have a conversation with her, and in that way, he modeled for us that we should overcome racial or spiritual or social or economic or, or, or gender barriers. John chapter 4, verse 28, it says, Then leaving her jar, once she had encountered Jesus, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Why? Because Christ had been willing to reach across barriers, to build a bridge with her. Paul said it this way, I have become all things to all men so that it, by all possible means... I might save some. In other words, let's look for things that we have in common and let's have conversation. So how are you doing on this one? I mean, in your life, are you looking for ways or building relationships with people that are different than you? In what arena are you doing that? How do you interact with them? One of the ways I do that, there's several ways, but one of the ways is through what we do uh, with our gym. And and there's such a diverse population there, and whether it be race or whether it be religious beliefs, we have atheists, um, all kinds of different people that we'll interact with. But because we're interacting on a regular basis, what happens is just sometimes there, there's just a conversation that happens. And this has happened so many times. And somebody will say something, and we'll start to talk about it, and I'll look for a way to kind of bring the Lord into the conversation or bring my experience in or bring some support that God's given me or talk about something that I think will make a difference in their life based on what they're talking about. It's not forced. And because we care about each other, it doesn't even, it just seems so natural. And what's happened is more and more relationships have been impacted because it's just something that, that I'm feeling like we, I'm going to share with you something that God's done for me, and it is changing people. I think one of the ways that we reach across barriers is that we care for people, genuinely. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. 
James chapter 1, verse 27 says, real religion, true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is to look after orphans and widows. In other words, look for ways to care about people. Look for ways to comfort people. Look for ways to be kind with people. And that's one of the reasons I just love the heart of Access Church. It's because so many of you are outside the walls figuring out ways to love your neighbor as yourself. You're figuring out ways to care for people. I love what we did just recently at Christmas time. and We all got together and gave gifts to a lot of students in the Mount Airy schools who needed gifts and who needed a Christmas. And in that way, we're saying we might be different in some ways, but we want to give you something or some things because we genuinely care. And I love that heart. I love the attitude of the church to model and reflect the attitude of Jesus who said, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Should that always be the heart of our church that says we're beyond the walls, caring for people who are different than us, making a difference in this community by saying, God's done something great in my life and I want to share it with you. The last way I think that we go beyond the walls is to think globally, not, lo- not just locally. Yes, I think we should primarily focus in our circle of influence, our home mostly, and then our work, our schools, and others, and then reach across barriers. But I also think we should think about the world. How do I think? Why do I think that? Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and go to the ends of the earth. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, it says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. God is a global God. He has a global mission. And around the world, he's saying, I want you to be involved in impacting people around the world. And I think we all have to shift from a local mentality only to a global mentality. It's one of the reasons, as hard as it is, I actually try to read on a regular basis what is happening uh, to Christian martyrs around the world, where I'm reading the stories of people who are giving their life up for the cause of Christ. It's good for me to get out of my own world and experience and to see what other people are experiencing in other parts of the world. It's also good to see how Christianity is expanding across the world. That is an encouragement to me as I read that. But I think we have to start thinking, not just locally, but globally. I also think we should start thinking not just about our own world or kind of a self-centered thing, but an other-centered idea, which is what are they experiencing? What are they feeling? What are they seeing? I want to get into their shoes. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that we, as a church, I love the fact that we are supportive of what's going on in El Salvador. We've partnered with a church there. I know a lot of churches have a broad missionary philosophy, which is we're going to give checks to 15, 20, 30 mission groups, and that's great. If you can build, I always think, if you can build relationships with that many mission groups, that's great, that's wonderful. But we've really tried to focus in on uh, Amer- uh, planting churches in America and planting churches in other parts of the world, in particular in El Salvador, where we have actually built relationships with people there, and now we are uh, together, and we're supportive of each other, and they know us, and we know them, and we've been down there several times. I think that's one of the reasons that our daughter Rebecca, when she went to Milligan, tried to figure out, what am I going to do with my life? She started going, I'm going to go into intercultural studies, because I don't know if it's here or there, but I want to be involved somewhere in international missions. I want to make a difference in that way. And I I love that because we want to expose our children 
to other cultures and other people so that they know that it's not just about us in America and our experience. It gives you a totally different experience when you see people in poverty or people who are struggling. And so I love that about our church, that we're saying we don't want to just be locally focused. We don't want to just think about here and now. We want to think about other people in other places and how do we help them come to a relationship with Christ. Now, I think one way to summarize this is just to ask the question, is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? Of you? And in one way you say, no, I mean, I'm not Christ and I didn't really save them. No, I'm saying, is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? I mean, have you invited anybody? Do you talk to anybody about Christ? How's your family doing? Did they know Christ because of your relationship with him or your extended family? What about your friend? What about your friend group? Have you ever done anything? to talk to them about what God's done in your life? What about your people at work? Do they know that you love Christ? Has it changed you that much that there's something obvious about? And, and friends, it should just be natural. It doesn't have to be forced. I, I, um, I, I told you before, I have a couple of guys. I mean, I have a lot of different friends out there in different arenas. And, um, but two of the guys I love working with, uh, my mom actually was a contact. I was going to do some work on her house and so I needed somebody to help, and she said, well, uh, you know, this guy down here, my neighbor, he knows these two guys, and so I met uh, Tony, and Tony's actually a lot better at mechanic work than he is housework, and uh, so in my phone, his name is Tony Otto, Tony Otto. Everybody's in my phone according to their, what they do, you know, so Tony Otto, and, uh, and I love stopping by Tony's house, and I'll bring him some work. He does a little mechanic work in his garage there. He might do a break. So he doesn't do too much anymore, but uh, his back hurts too much. But he'll just say, oh, see, yeah, these guys are rough, by the way. I mean, they just, they just swear randomly. Random swear words. I don't know why it made me laugh, but they do. I'm, I'm just like, I don't expect it. I should expect it. But he just like says stuff and like, it's whatever. But he's always like, hey, how's your mom? Tell your mom, hey, you know. And he was here not too long ago. He sees the baptistry tank. And I was like, I'm going to get you in there one of these days, son. He's like, Oh, I don't know about that, Steve. You know, God, God, God and I, aren't, we aren't on speaking terms, he said. But then I had another buddy, and these guys are buddies, and, and his name's Joe. And in my phone, his name's Joe Handyman. Joe Handyman. And he became my handyman working on my house a few years ago. And since then, we've done a lot of projects together. And we did some projects here at church, actually. And, um, and I mean, it cost me, but we've done projects together. And, uh, and we just enjoy working together, and he's a lot of fun. And just like Tony, he'll say whatever he wants to say whenever he wants to say it. And it's just an authentic, it's grown to be a friendship over the years. And we might go to eat somewhere or, or we might just enjoy working together. And Well, not long ago, he had a challenge in his life and his family and actually lost both of his parents. And then he had some other challenges. And, and, and one day, I was at the, he texted me on a Saturday said, you going to be at Middletown tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be there. He said, I'll be there too. I was like, okay, really? I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know that's going to happen. Okay, that's cool. And so he shows up to the Middletown campus, and he drives his Dodge truck in there, and there he is, shows up to church. And he hadn't been to church for a while, and it was trying to figure it out. Here comes communion. What do I do with this? He asked me, what do I do? I'm sitting next to him. What do I do with this? I tell him. You know, and then here's the offering. He gives to that and the whole deal. And then, um, okay, good to see you. Comes the next week. It's like four months ago. He's only missed three Sundays in four months. Two of them because he was sick. One of them he was out of town or whatever. He just keeps showing up. 
I'd love to tell you that he's been radically transformed by Christ, and now he's serving in, like, in Zimbabwe as a missionary. I don't know. Like, but, um, but it, you know, it's not that. But he just loves and fits in and feels like he connects. And now I don't have to sit next to him at all. He's out in the lobby just hanging out with people the whole time until church starts, and then he's just there. Here, here's my point. I, I love that relationship with Joe. And I pray that one day he comes to Christ, and I had no idea that was going to happen. It's just relational. It's just relational. Just being consistent, being consistent, loving on these guys. I pray that Tony comes, and I have a lot of other friends like these guys, and I hope you do too, where you're just saying, how can I make a difference in their life for the cause of Christ? I think the most dangerous prayer we can pray is just, God, use me. God, use me. Would you just use me, make me available so that I can make a difference in somebody's life? Reach beyond the walls. Let Access Church never just be about people showing up to sit in a seat, connect maybe in a group, and possibly, if we can possibly beg you enough, to serve. May we always be a church that those are just the baselines. And from that, you then are reaching out and actually living your life on mission every day. That's the call of Christ in your life, that you would actually be like Jesus every day of your life, and it would impact your kids, your legacy, generations, your friends, and people that you know. Let's get beyond those walls. God, we thank you so much for just loving us, and I pray that our attitude and how we, how we represent you, God, to others, our conversations with people, it would just make a difference. And, Lord, that we don't have to figure out ways to be anything special. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to be authentic. And we just have to have these kind of, where people know that we genuinely care about them. And when that happens, then somehow, in that moment of need for them, they start to say, hey, I... Maybe God can do something in my life. Maybe God can transform me in some way. Maybe God can work in my heart. And so, God, we pray for that because we're all on a journey here. We're all trying to figure this thing out. But, God, I pray for every parent in this room, every parent, and for those who haven't been consistent, for those who haven't loved their spouse, for those who are struggling with even praying with their children. God, help us to remember that discipleship starts in the home. And then, God, from there, how are we interact with people on the highway? How do we interact with people in our office? How do we interact with people that are customers of ours? How do we interact with people at school? And let's let that be consistent. And let's look for opportunities to build bridges. And then, God, for those who are maybe different than us, help us to build bridges with them and figure out how to find uh, connecting spots and things that are in common with each other. And then, God, help us to also think globally Help us to figure out ways to, to know what's going on in the world of Christianity, to pray for those in need, to look for ways to sponsor a child or build a relationship with a family or go to a third world country or figure out ways to expand our vision beyond just Ohio or the United States. Help it to get into our hearts. God, we thank you so much for the example that you give us to love our neighbors ourselves. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. 